Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Movement Made Better podcast. Today's guest, we are excited to have Bud Jeffries, old school <laughs> strongman training. So, Bud, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself, give a little background to the listeners. I'm probably the most misunderstood strongman on social media. If that makes, <laughs> how's that one? My name's Bud Jeffries. I live in Lakeland, Florida. I'm 47 years old. I've been married for 25 years. I am a professional strongman. I'm, most of my living in the, the my adult life has been made that way, either through live performances or through books and videos and information that I sell and train about training and, and that kind of thing. And when I say old time strongman, that's how I, if you had to ask me to classify myself, that's how I would classify myself. And I choose that because for me, that gives the widest variety, of, the widest possible concept of what I'm doing, even though most people have no idea what the term means. So the old time guys, and what we're referring to is, you know, all around the world for thousands of years, people have had strength in their cultures and, and all kinds of training and stone training and metal training and objects and stuff like that are literally thousands of years old. And every culture has had performers who have made a living as strength athletes in one way or another, you know, through around the world. And sometimes it gets described as circus strongman and that kind of thing. So most of the strongman stuff that I do is, well, not most, but a big portion of it is based on a live show, uh, similar to what a vaudeville show did. I, I made, uh, well, in my career, I've done somewhere around 1200 live shows in 44 states all across America. Most of that is school-based shows uh, based on anti-bullying concepts. And then we do the whole point of that is to do relatable strength feats that make people watch and um, talk to them about the important things you're there, really there to talk about. When you, when you get hired as a performer today, unless you're just working at a party or working on Vegas or something like that, if you work for schools or churches, people are there to listen to you speak. And then the strength thing is just to get their, their, uh, their attention. And if you really track what I do and pay attention to the social media, you'll understand that a lot of what I do is literally set to make you pay attention to me, to make you pay attention to the bigger messages that I have, which is your life can be amazing if you just do the work. You know, we're, most of us are so living under the capacity of what we have, what we are, what we're intended to be. We're so far below that. that it's, and we're, most of us are living boring. We're physically out of shape. We're mentally not you know, really aware. We're spiritually lost. It's a, a dude, we can be so much more. And that's a big concept. And then I want you to talk, I want people to understand that they physically, you know, what you can learn about training and what you really are capable of. And I'm doing things today. I didn't think I was ever, would ever be capable of. And then also we have a charity, which we'll discuss more at the end, Noah's Army. And those are the big three things I want you to look at with my training. Now I have, because people ask me this question all the time, why don't you compete? Listen, bro, I was competing before the internet existed. <laughs> okay, I'm not of you know self of like you know beepers and that kind of thing you know prior to that prior to when you could google anything and ask everybody when you actually had to info about where a contest was through a magazine made of paper and and that kind of thing i started out in physical training because of the things that had happened in my life really so so you have to kind of know a little bit about my life story to know why i do, why i am who i am and why i do what i do and, and so let me kind of work you through that fairly, fairly quickly, but it explains my competition history, which will explain you to where I am and what I do and what the whole, this whole ball of wax and insanity is about. So when my mom and dad tried to have children for like 12 years, they were never able to have a baby. My mom had had a bunch of miscarriages and my mom finally got pregnant with me. She was working as a nurse in a hospital. She was exposed to the measles and that's extremely dangerous to a baby. The doctors told her I would be born blind or deaf or not able to walk or that I would be stillborn. When I'm about to be born, my heart stopped. I was the first baby in the uh, hospital I was born in that they used a fetal heart rate monitor on. 
and my heart stopped. And literally the time between my heart stop on the fetal monitor and the time on my birth certificate is 19 minutes. I was raised with this concept that life is a miracle. Okay. And that life should be embraced by that. And that, that everybody has a purpose that, I, that God gives us a purpose. And then my parents were you know, super religious and prayed that way and, and you know, wanted a baby forever. And they chose that no matter what happens to this baby, we're having it. And so that, that's kind of my introduction to the world. And, and some of the science now says that, that people born with a real fight or flight response tend to be real aggressive and that kind of thing. They tend to train, they tend to be more risk takers. And that sort of is my life. And so at five years old, I had this car accident. I'm walking down the street, I get hit by a van. I run in front of a van, a van a, the old Scooby-Doo van. Guy hits me and it actually throws me up into the front of the van on the bumper and he skids to a stop and it throws me off. But it, but it broke and crushed my thigh right at the hip, almost right at the hip bone. And then uh, cracked my skull and put me in the hospital for more than a month in a body cast for more than three months. And they said, you know, we're worried if your leg won't, we, they were, I thought the bone cap on my leg was damaged and they, my legs wouldn't work and they wouldn't be right and they wouldn't be the same length. That piqued me into physical training because when they cut the cast off me four months after this happened and I hadn't been able to move or do anything or do any of that stuff. And I'm, you know, five years old in 1978, man. There's nothing on TV. I've been bored out of my gourd for like literally months and months and months. And the only thing I've been able to do is you guys, are, you, are either of you old enough to even know what shag carpeting is? Oh yeah, I'm 48. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're <laughs> 37. No, come on, man. I gotta see some ID about your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So uh, what I would do is this, man. Uh, I was on five years old. I'm stuck in a bed. I literally have a cast covering my body from my chest to my feet. No movement at all. So I would drag myself off the bed and grab this shag carpeting and pull myself around. And I literally wore the front of the cast out. They had to take me back to the doctor and have it remolded. <laughs> but I went from, and, and it was a blessing and a curse in two ways, but it really gave me my perspective today. And here's what I mean. So I went in as this thin, wiry little kid, and I came out as this muscular fat kid, which is the weirdest thing ever. And I don't know if it's the drugs they were giving me or what they were feeding me or whatever, the fact that I haven't been able to move. But I went out, I went in as a thin kid in like a size four t-shirt. I came out in a size 10 with giant shoulders. And a huge amount, my body weight literally doubled over a four month period of almost the only thing I could do is this of complete immobility. So also you got to remember that late seventies therapy was not much of a concept. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they sent me home with a bottle of lotion and said, move his legs around and rub this on there. You'll be all right. I mean, that, that was, <laughs> that was therapy. you know, I can literally remember my mom sticking me in a bathtub and moving my legs back and forth. And, and, and because I was a child, I, I did regain, I had to learn to walk again, but I did regain it fairly quickly. But, I had enough deficits that my mom found this. My mom met this guy who was a Taekwondo teacher. And he said, I think I can help him. So she put me in Taekwondo classes at five, like six years old. I started, that piqued my interest in flexibility and movement and strength and, and, and in learning martial arts and all that stuff. And that led me later on to American football, which led me directly to powerlifting. When I started to compete at like four, I started to train and compete at about 14 years old in powerlifting. I won state, regional, national titles up through teenage years. And then I won uh, later on in my life, adult life. I won a WNPF lifetime drug-free world championship. I competed off and on for 15 16 years. Uh, and I had this lifetime goal of about the time I started to compete is when Fred Hatfield was first one of the first few, when Fred Hatfield was competing. And I was yeah. saw like a, a couple of year old VCR tape of him squatting a thousand pounds at the Hawaii world record breakers meet. And so that became a goal. 
for me. And I, it took me 16 years to get from first day to squatting a thousand pounds. And that was sort of the finish of my career as far as that kind of thing. And then I, and along the way I did powerlifting and then I, I played football through college, but then I have that damage. I had shoulder damage and an injury in college that took me away from football, but let me keep lifting. So then I competed in strongman and then Highland games and then martial arts. And then I had this opportunity that came out of that injury in college to speak at a church to, to uh, help a guy out to promote a, a guy who was coming to that church. And he said, like, I know what you do, man. You guys, this guy's a strong man. I know you do some of that stuff. He said, why don't you figure out something to do? And so I'm like, uh, okay. And so like two weeks later, I did the first time I ever spoke to a group. And I, I, and again, prior to the internet. So I'm like scrubbing through magazines. I'm like calling people. I'm looking for info. I'm looking at hieroglyphs, like it's an Indiana Jones situation, where I got <laughs> that kind of thing. And I, and I've seen a couple of guys and that's the only thing I can figure out was to bend some steel bars. So I found some at a hardware store and did that and some deadlifts. And I think I broke a couple of boards and that was my first strongman show. But it piqued my interest in the idea that like, I have a message, I have a purpose, and I have a talent to use to do this, and I could do this for a living. So it took me several years to build off of that. And then I had the opportunity to really do it as a full-time career, supported by the, the combination of training and things that I did. And all of that flavored me into who I am as far as I had come from an athletic background, a martial arts background, and I came from a lifting background. And then the other multiple lifting sports. And then I got just enough real world stuff going on and picked up things from that to, to have this old meld it all together. And because I did some such a historical thing for a living, I studied a lot of the history of training. So if you look at what I do today, it's flavored throughout stuff that's historical training, that, that there is a historical precedent that's, that's 100 to 1,000 years old, depending on what you're doing. But most people don't. We were talking about this prior to the, the start of the show. Most people just have a super narrow concept of training. They don't know what people were doing a thousand years ago, what the ancient Olympic athletes, what the ancient Shaolin people were doing, and what the what the ancient Russian and Scottish guys were doing, and what the you know all that stuff. And then they don't know you know in the original formations of what we consider modern bodybuilding and modern weightlifting, all of that came up together. Most training that most people do today is flavored by bodybuilding because mm -hmm. bodybuilding with Arnold Schwarzenegger and in the seventies became the massive took over the muscle scene from a, from a media perspective, but they don't know that the roots of all that came through guys like Lewis Sear and Eugene Sandow who were physical performers. And then they captured the public's imagination with how they looked or how they, what they physically did and their training methods were set to give you the ability to do some wild stuff at a time when you better be pretty rough because the average person was a thousand percent more physical a hundred years ago than today. And if you were traveling with a circus through the middle of Iowa in, in uh, 1890 and you were performing for a bunch of farm boys who lifted stones and hay bales and threw cows every day. You better be pretty doggone rough if you offer, you know, 50 bucks to the guy who can lift my weight or 50 bucks to the guy I want to wrestle. You better be pretty doggone tough. And even the bodybuilders of that era, the guys who were making a living on how they looked, not what they could physically do. The culture at the time was so function driven that all their shows included lifting, not just how they look. So that sort of pushed me into where I am today. And then actually the influence of my son, which we'll talk about more, really pushed me to work on not just, so if you look at my training, I don't just do strength stuff. You, you know, Monday, you might see me lift a big stone, but Tuesday, you might see me shoot a bow and arrow at an aspirin. And, you know, Wednesday, something I'll probably be set on fire. And Thursday, I'll be doing some kind of flexibility-based thing. And I got this idea that we're so below the potential in every part, not just strength, not just flexibility, not just mobility, but speed, endurance, power, coordination, timing, all of those things. And most of us never really do anything like that. We, we get the, and 
Okay, martial arts and those other things introduced me to the idea that I think I'm tough, but I better test it. Because the first time I fought somebody in a gym, uh, in, as an adult in MMA, I found out that I was about 375. I was super dangerous for about a minute, and then I was not dangerous at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the idea that, you know, you think you're really tough until you get in with somebody who's a specialist at one thing. And if you don't test it, you don't know. If you don't stretch, you don't know how flexible you are. If you don't lift, you don't know how strong you are. If you don't fight, you don't know how good, how good you are. If you don't throw, you don't know how good you are. At that. You know what I'm saying? You, you really don't. You can get a picture of if I can squat 700 pounds, I probably can do this particular thing, but you don't know until you test it. So that opened this whole door of, man, what are the million things that my body could possibly do? And like, I describe it like this. Most of us lift weights and that's like building a muscle car in a garage and working on the end all the time at the gym. But most of us, that's all we ever do is lift weights. We never take the muscle car out of the garage and drive it around. And see if you can, like, Dukes a Hazard jump it over a river or that. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I'm taking mine out and seeing if I can jump it over a river or what, whatever we can do. So that is the entirely too long explanation of who I am and where I'm at today. And <laughs> Our society looks at things that are, we consider extraordinary. And all too often, I look at those things and go, that should be ordinary. Okay. Like, people say that all the time. Why, are you, why, aren't, you, why aren't you content to just do normal lifts in a gym or do the ordinary? Um, listen. Ordinary is so far below potential. Like I, I don't, like people say you do some amazing things sometimes. I'm like, well, yeah, I, sometimes I do some pretty cool stuff. And once in a while I step back and I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe I pulled that off. <laughs> and sometimes I step back and say, holy crap, I can't believe I pulled that off without dying. That, that, extra, <laughs> that extra couple of words is pretty important there. But I agree with you. We're living in a time when all you need to survive is thumbs mm. and if you can work a game controller or a phone or a, or a computer, you can get absolutely everything anywhere. You don't need any of this to absolutely live. So most people will drop to the lowest common denominator of absolutely everything they do. If that's all I need to do to live, that's all I do. But we're missing a vitality. I mean, how many people are so un, undriven? Un, they have no ambition in almost everything they do. 90% of the people are living like that, dude. I do some stuff that people consider special, but really we ought to be considering a lot of what I do normal what most of us are doing is a much more normal thing. We all, we really ought to be looking at that lab because dude, dude, the potential is there. They just never pull the trigger on getting it done, like, you know, on, a, on it coming out. And there's so much more we could be we're capable of doing or whatever. And, and the average, okay. I'll give you an example of that right there. They talk about people who rode boats like a thousand years ago, like in the Viking ships and that kind of thing. And that the average guy rowing an oar in a Viking ship had the same aerobic capacity as a high level Olympic rower today and that was just the average slave who got pulled out of you know england somewhere and thrown in a boat and chained to an oar that wasn't somebody who like trained special for four years and had a special diet and did everything. that was just an average human why can't you do the same why can't we do the same thing why are we not doing things that are extraordinary as an average and i'll tell you something that makes a difference and especially if you have kids if you make the extraordinary steam average to them their confidence will be shot through the roof. They will believe they can do amazing things. So my son was, was a stronger, strong man in many things than me. It's steel bending and stuff. He had, he was top five, 10 in the world at 21 years old mm. for hands for bending steel. Wow. Like he was, he got a six inch cold hardened octagonal chisel. Like oh. you can't with a semi. It's ridiculous. Like you can't even, it's not even, it's crazy. Youngest guy to ever be inducted into the physical culture uh, hall of fame for or the physical culture museum. He has pieces of steel sitting in the Austin, Texas museum. He grew up where 
my dad and all his buddies lift 400 pound rocks every weekend. And it's not a thing. Why, why, why can't I do it? He grew up calling four or five of the strongest cats on the planet. Uncle, uncle Dennis, uncle Mike, uncle, you know, you know what I'm saying? So like his idea of why don't, what do you mean? Everybody bends steel. Everybody lifts big stones. Everybody does martial arts. That's what humans do because he was blessed to be able to be around some extraordinary, extraordinary people that just took it for granted that you could do it. So if your mindset says, well, crap, I, I, we're, we're conditioned to believe that you, that everything will hurt you, that you're not capable of anything without extraordinary, you know, without just giving your whole life to the whole thing. And only one out of a million people you do it. But you know what? I've never had anybody train with me who didn't get much, 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 much stronger than when they started superhumans and only training those guys. I'm talking about, you know, women in their fifties and, and kids that have no athletic potential at all. And suddenly they can squat 500 pounds when they learn how to do after, after two, three, four years training. But the mindset involved that you give to people you train is a whole other thing. And then learning to give effort. That's a big thing. We don't have that. Like I, I talk to people about this all the time. We see effort. We're conditioned in our society to see effort as pain, mm. but Pain is when you get stabbed or shot or your leg is broken. Effort is discomfort sometimes. If you're at the end of a 10-minute snatch set or you're stretching real hard and it's a little uncomfortable or you squat for 20 reps and you think your lungs are going to explode and you'll die, that's not real pain. That's just effort. And you got to redefine that mindset if you're ever going to scratch the surface of the potential you have. And most of us, I think even a lot of the people who are at the top end of their game have still really barely scratched the surface of what they really could if they if they could get everything firing together and everything working really really together. So so how often do you test, you know, all the different qualities? Is that a da- is that something you do on a daily basis? I test something just about every day or I train something just about every day. So let me kind of give it a, a flavor of that. I generally run on about a 10-day training cycle. Okay. Um, Because of the total variety of stuff I'm doing, I don't feel like I can squeeze, like I could, but it would be overtraining or it would be overtaking time away from the rest of my life if I tried to train every bit of everything every day. But a lot of that is meshed together and concurrent. So a lot of times my, my sessions will contain multiple points that are being trained at the same time. Now, I believe, uh, and, and I actually believe this for a couple of reasons. I think most people overtrain, the, especially if they're drug-free, they overtrain the volume of heavy work that they do, but they under-intensity train. So not necessarily like Mike Metzer, that kind of thing, but like I do a lot of heavy singles. I do a lot of, but here's what, okay. Over a 10 day period, I'm going to do some kind of a heavy squat, usually some kind of a heavy pull, some kind of a heavy press, some kind of a heavy strongman movement, some kind of a high intensity, short duration cardio, some type of a high intensity, long duration cardio. And then generally some type of of a uh, long, slow or a a, uh, steady state type cardio. Now, within those, though, that's often mixed together. So I might like my short cardio might be like, okay, I did a session a couple of weeks ago where I did uh, five sets of squats up to a max. But between each one of those, I punched a bag 100 times and there's no rest between any of that. You see what I mean? So I'm training that top end strength. I'm training that physical movement. So I've got all the, all the major movements of the body, legs, back, et cetera, uh, along with in, in that particular thing. If you look at it, well, every time I punch, I'm training speed, I'm training accuracy. Uh, every time I punch in high volumes along with a heavy lift, that's endurance. 
That's, uh, see what I mean? So a lot of it is stuff to make those things work together. So it's super efficient because if I, like I said, I've said this to people and I actually wrote this in some of my books, the major thing people, people, the reason people haven't been able to make strength and endurance pay off together or strength and all is they, they try to stick concurrent programs together with no thought for recovery. So like I make, uh, this is the analogy. They take Ronnie Coleman's bodybuilding, which is two hours a day, six days a week and Lance Armstrong bike training, which is six hours a day, six days a week and stick them together. Well, you can't, do that yeah yeah nobody has the time nobody has the recovery you don't pay attention and again you know like i don't really give a crap who does what as far as steroids but you have to pay attention to that and as far as the training and like okay ronnie and lance are both examples of that of they can be awesome human beings but you know ronnie's taking a lot of roids and lance taking a lot of uh, endurance drugs which all those guys are doing and i'm not picking on either of those guys i'm not saying that what i'm saying is that if you're not going to do that or even if you are or not, you have to have some intelligence about what your body can recover and especially in looking at it for the long term. So one of the reasons I only squat, like say once every 10 days is number one. Okay. There's a lot more heavy lifting going on in there in that 10 day period than just that. You see what I mean? Plus there's a lot of a mega volume of training in there. Now I generally less train less than an hour, now like an hour a day. That's all my, that's, I don't train for, I don't believe in exorbitant you know, times, with this exception, if you're training an endurance event that takes that amount of time. So if you're training for a six hour bike ride, you got to do six hours, you know, that kind of thing. Or if you're training for, you know, an, uh, an hour long fight, you have to have enough cardio to make, you see what I mean? Like that kind of, but like, I don't believe in these huge volumes of training and here's why. I don't believe you can prove, especially in a drug-free athlete, that a massive volume of heavy lifting will make you stronger faster. A small amount of very intense lifting will get you as strong a Okay, even if it's only 90% as fast, here's my reasoning behind that. If I can do a small volume of heavy lifting for my entire lifetime or a huge volume of heavy lifting for a few years and then end up with an injury or end up with tendonitis so bad it never goes away or that kind of thing, I can't control the inflammation from massive volumes of heavy lifting along with the massive volume of the rest of the stuff I want to accomplish. So like I need to be able to pull a bow string back and if I can't close my hand because I did 5 million heavy deadlifts versus a couple of heavy deadlifts. And I got to the point of, I got as strong as I want to or need to get about as quickly with a lot less damage that way. And it gives me the ability to mix in all this other variety. And that's my basic skeletal framework. Most of the time, a revolving, and I, I'm always a constant experimenting. So usually I do like one heavy lift plus an endurance thing and, and that endurance thing may have speed. And then I try something else. And then on the days I don't feel like doing any kind of heavy lifting is often when I do something ridiculous or something crazy or something that trains another capacity. So I'm still training, but that way I can control the inflammation created by training with cycling the intensity up and down for what's going on. And I can balance everything together, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. that, yep. And that lets me train all of those 10 or so, you know, moving targets of max strength of endurance endurance strength of cardiovascular capacity all of that stuff and then all the other accuracy and, and all that stuff together and then after that for me the that gives me the framework to then experiment so that gives me days where i can just let's create something today let's figure something out and the other thing you don't get on social media is people say this to me all the time oh my god you never do the same exercise twice not true at all i do the same regular i do some kind of squat i said some kind of squat some kind of press usually for me it's one arm presses or one arm rows uh, usually it's Anderson squats. 
Um, so if I deadlift, if I deadlift, it's usually stiff leg deadlifts, or I actually rotate between mat and stone lifting because I think that's the back. That's just, about the same thing. If you lift a big stone or you deadlift a barbell, you're still training your back. That kind of same. You know, I do those things, and the, you, you're going to see me. You know, I may post something I did today, or I may, I may repost something I did a couple of years ago. And if you're not paying attention to what I'm doing, absolutely all the time, you're going to be like, "Holy crap!" Yesterday was squatting, today shooting. You know, today throwing knives and stuff. Okay. But what you don't see is that every piece of that has a foundation. And once I have a foundation, then I'm experimenting with, and I have kind of a general plan about that. Okay. Like if you look at what I'm doing as far as strongman movements, a good example of this, I'm going to pick, can I pick this up and carry it? Okay. If I can pick it up and carry it forward, can I carry it backward? Mm, Can I carry it heavier? Can I carry it longer? Can I carry it sideways? Can I carry it in a zigzag pattern? Can I carry it in a circular pattern? Can I carry it and carry something else at the same time? Can I carry it and throw something at the same time? Or if I can throw something, can I hit a target? Can I hit a moving target? Can I hit a smaller target? Can I hit a target in the air? Can I hit a target while I'm moving? Can I hit a target? See what I mean? There's a base. Now that we've got the hot rod built in the garage, what can we do with it? So that's the whole example of all those things. And everything has a base. Everything has a starting point. However, I will say this. I think the cool thing about this kind of training, especially when you start to meld the, the mental aspects and the spiritual and the, and the energetic aspects together, is since I'm training all of those things all the time, I have noticed that I'm doing something that people would say is almost impossible. I'm way into my 40s and I'm picking up skills faster than I ever picked them up in my life. And so like people ask me, how many tries does that take? Okay. And I, that's a crazy question. Like I've had some stuff that took me hundreds of tries. But I've had some crazy stuff that was pretty doggone hard that took me three, four tries when I popped it because, I, because I'm constantly training the skill of picking up new, new things and pick, I'm paying attention and focusing. I'm constantly training that. So because I'm training that, I can pick up, I, I'm noticing that in myself. Like I'm, my reflexes have gotten better. My, my ability to get inside a skill mentally and see what I have to do to get it done has gotten better. And since you're training all that together, you tend to pick up, uh, okay, it's kind of like uh, in the weightlifting analogy, if you're already doing heavy squats, you can probably do some pretty heavy leg presses. You know what I'm saying? You can walk over and do them without, whether you trained them or not, you can probably do, maybe you won't max the best ever leg press ever, which who cares what that is, but it, you see what I mean? You can walk over and do those things, but now if you don't have that base skill, okay, but the opposite is not true. You can be the biggest leg presser in the world and not walk over and squat yeah. heavy with a barbell because they don't, they don't, they don't reverse translate. Many of them do translate back and forth. I believe strength and endurance actually are reciprocal. They translate back and forth depending on how you function them together. But the big base skill gives you the, the, all, the, all the rest of the skills, if that makes sense. Well, because I think one of the awesome things of watching you is, is seeing your ability to lift something very heavy, but then also roll and come out of a roll and be comfortable tracking an object, which... Right a lot of people would not be able to, to have both skill sets. And you can, okay? Like yeah. I didn't, the stuff I'm doing today and like, okay, you're referencing like, I, I've done several things like that where I, I did one I really, <laughs> you can see me do because I growl at it afterward because it took me several tries. And that's how you can tell something was hard. If I start laughing maniacally and growling at something and I, <laughs> I'm sort of, I'm sort of, at that point I've hit this like weirdly happy, aggressive, primal thing where it's more animal than human. And and so that, that, I threw a clay target in the air, did a forward roll, popped up with a knife and, and hit the target in the air. And that is exactly what I mean. You're training a ton of skills. You're training movement, fluid movement. You're training track. You're training uh, throwing and then losing a target and reacquiring it. You're training accuracy. You're training speed because you got to roll quick. 
You got to throw fast. You got to attack. There's a ton of stuff going on in what's really playtime as a trainer, you know, that most of, you know, it's not like there's a competition out there for, you know, there's competition for who can squat the heaviest thing in the world. There isn't competition for who can throw the target in the air roll, pop up and you, you know, that's not, but that is a base training thing. And people are like, Oh, that's silly. And you're just playing. Well, I am playing. Mm-hmm. I'm playing. I'm legitimately training and there's, there's history and science behind what I'm doing. And I'm not training to look like I had the biggest biceps in the world. I'm training to be actually use everything I've got to be able to accomplish these things. And okay, here's two silly examples of, tr- of thinking about that kind of thing and across applying those skills. So one is kind of relevant to the world situation at the moment. And I've made a bunch of jokes about this recently and even have a TV, even have a t-shirt line coming out called, we call it apocalypse sexy. Which is <laughs> literally a buddy of mine who's a power lifter made it, had a joke between his wife him about that. And he's like, listen, I mean, the guy and the guy's ex-military. He's a 240 pound power lifter and he's a cop. And he, you know, he's like, listen, when zombies happen and the world goes, goes into an apocalypse, I'm going to be Brad Pitt. <laughs> I'm going to care what Brad Pitt looks like, but I'll be the sexiest man alive because I can keep you alive. I can lift things. I can shoot. I can do. And that's kind of the joke about that. But, and it's a silly thing to look at, but really it's not. Okay. If the world, if something crazy happened and good Lord, have we seen that this year? with, you know, pandemics and you, geez, you got fires and floods and, you know, locusts and good God, who knows what, uh, okay. What if the grid pops apart and you, there suddenly is no power and you have to survive. Or what if there's a fire near your house and you got to get out and you got to carry things and you got to carry people to safety and you've got to carry all this. Okay. Do machine curls and pet deck flies help you get that done? No. And a lot of my training is set on testing those parameters. Could I pick up, okay, when I do a workout where I pick up a 200 pound stone and see if I can carry it a half a mile, that's about, can I carry some, can I carry somebody I love to safety? Mm-hmm. If now I'm not trying to make it dramatic in that way. And it's, it's funny with the whole, you know, well, the virus thing going on ain't funny, but it, it gives funny to this. You know what I'm saying? Like, really, what can you possibly do? And when I said that testing parameter earlier, dude, can I do that? And I also make this joke about James Bond movies all the time about, okay, a lot of the stuff you see me do is like, you see this in any kind of action superhero type movie, but guys like Schwarzenegger had a movie with Jamie Lee Curtis where he's hanging off a helicopter, yes. and her mm-hmm. off the one, you know, and he pulls her up and he basically curls her up in one. Yep. <laughs> you know how hard that is to physically do like that doesn't, but it gives me these ideas of like, well, what the hell? What, what if I, what if legitimately I had to pick someone up to pull them out? Uh, what if you got to pull a kid out of a lake or what if you got to pull yourself out of something or what if you got to, you know, lift something off of somebody or what if you, you know, God forbid you have to, you know, shoot a zombie with one hand while you're holding a burning log with the other. And, you know, at the same time, you know, run to safety or what you see what I mean? I mean, it's all snow and it's all play, but at the same time, it's all real skill. And I think when you start to work these things together, they actually build you to this higher peak. And here's what I mean. Okay. You referenced me being able to move fluidly comparatively and you don't see a lot of guys my size. I'm almost 300 pounds, 295 or so, depending on the day and how many biscuits I had that day. Um, <laughs> move fluidly, but it's because they don't train anything that move fluidly, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. And they don't train, you know, most of them make this thing of I need to stretch, they don't ever actually stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I need to move. I don't ever actually, they don't ever actually do it. They, you know, they, and that's also what I'm saying with that volume thing or whatever. Like, I think when you over volume that way, you get a stiffer build, you get a stiffer. You know, you, you, either that or you don't take the time 
to make things fluid. You don't take the time to make things, you know, and you can train it by just playing and moving. And why shouldn't we be able to move? And, and more than that, as you age, what's the first thing people do is they lose the ability to move fluidly. Mm-hmm. And that, and that actually combines with strength. Okay. Because we're I'm kind of picking at strength athletes about not moving fluidly, but they don't move fluidly because they don't train it. The average person on the couch doesn't move fluidly because they're not strong enough mm-hmm. to move. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the average strength is strong enough to do it. He doesn't train the coordination necessary to do it. Yep. The average person doesn't train either one, but they don't have the strength to do it to even access the coordination. Whether you know, see what I mean? They don't have to even think about it or do that kind of thing. And I, I think the martial arts background that I have, along with the you know, the idea of the of out of the box movements of like calisthenics and that kind of thing. That's a big thing for me as well. And those moving type issues. And and those are things that I'll all play, you know, movement stuff like that is all the things we just talked about. It's conditioning, it's coordination, it's all this stuff. But it that plays a lot into that kind of thing where that's keeping me flexible, that's keeping me moving, that's keeping me conditioned. That's you know, that's keeping me in a place where like, you know, okay. Like, uh, listen, I know guys who can squat 900 pounds and if they stepped off the curb wrong, they could, they walk bad for a week. And so like, if you do fall or get knocked down, I'm a lot less likely to get hurt than the average person because number one, I have the most enough muscle to take it. But number two, I have enough coordination to fall fluidly and not be, you know, all these things are okay. Yeah. It's fun. It's play, but it's the idea of, can we translate this into real life skills of, I don't want to be the jerk who sits on the couch in his forties and does nothing and has no energy and therefore has no vitality and doesn't want to live life and has no ambition. And, and out of that, no, you know, no love life, no sex, no ability to do anything awesome in the world, no ability to go out and chase down a gazelle if they had to, or whatever. See what I mean? Like there's just so much more, there's so much more to that. And And it looks like play and it is play. And actually I have found that I'm stronger. And this is going to be a weird thing to say to a lot of people. I'm stronger when I approach it as fun and play with a smile than when I approach it with an aggressive. Um, and, and I don't think those things can't flesh together. They can. You see me like that maniacal laughing is kind of an idea about that. It's both laughter as well as it's kind of like got that like, oh, Jesus, this guy might kill me. But, but, but it's not an angry. If that makes, does that make sense? It's not an angry, terrible thing to train into training when you're young, often there's aggression issues and people have to work out and, and everybody has that day where you just want to go pound something because you know it's been that kind of day. And I don't mean that, but I, in doing it on a regular basis, I think you have to remember that whatever you're training, whatever you're thinking as you're training, you're also ingraining into what you're doing. So mm-hmm. your mind at the same time. So if you're constantly training physical things in a happy way, in a way that's conditioning yourself to think and be happy and enjoy things and play, number one, you'll be a lot more interested in training. Because, you know, uh, listen, I've, I've been that guy who wanted to lift heavy and I, you know, that kind of thing. But as, you know, 30 something years into training, I got the idea that, you know, let's just go have some fun. And, and in having that fun, geez, man, now I'm interested and I can play and I can experiment and I can still get all the stuff done and I can carry all the muscle I want, but I can be coordinated. I can be flexible. I can be strong. I can, I can defy aging. For me, that's, and for me also, that's a minimal investment. It doesn't take nine hours a day of, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. There's like, I left a couple of sessions of endurance training last week, looking like somebody had beat me with a bat because (laughs) how hard I worked that day. But a lot of sessions I'm 10 minutes in, I'm out and I'm on throughout the day. And there's no, you know, I'm not crushed by it. I have energy for the rest of the day and we're getting, uh, there's, there's so much to be done here. 
Well, I think with play too, people don't realize you're getting strong from so many different angles. Yeah. Well, that's another thing we don't, okay. That goes back to the testing idea mm-hmm. and I'll tell you how you can look at that. Look at a grappler. You take a big monster of a dude who's massive lifter and stick him in with a much smaller grappler. And you'll learn that positionally your base strength might be super strong. And you might know that, you know, okay, this grappler guy might bench press 300 pounds. You might bench press 500 pounds. And you might be massively stronger, but you won't be in the right positions. You won't yeah. be in, in, in positionally. And what they don't get, like I made this analogy years ago when um, the first UFC came out and Hoist Gracie won. And Hoist mm-hmm. was 185 pounds and he beat some way bigger dudes and all that stuff. And they're like, and they, they, they give you this idea and, and this is part of their marketing. And they're right in, in many ways. And they're wrong in one way. And there's what I mean. They're going to give you this idea that you don't have to be big. You don't have to be strong. You just have to know things and, uh, and understand leverages. And that's true to some extent. But what you don't understand is if you're spending 12 hours a day training on a mat, choking dudes in this position, you're going to be super freaking strong at choking dudes in this position. Yeah. You might not be strong, but this, you'll be super freaking strong. And that's why a grappler who put you in, who's much weaker than you in a gym can pin you in ways that, now, do, are they using leverage and understand it? Yes, they are. But they're also super strong at those positions, those angles, those things. That's a lot of why I train different isometrics and some of the other stuff that I do. Because once I got to this idea of, okay, I'm very strong. Most of the lifting people do is linear. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a curl actually works along an arc, but it's still a linear lift. You're still straight up and down. But are you strong when things are not close to your body or when you don't lift it in a normal position, when you lift it in a, a circular or a zigzag, or you have to control a large weight away from you in a weird way or that kind of thing or whatever. And grappling and that kind of stuff helped kind of open my mind to that thing that dude, you you don't know that you're strong, you know, as you think you are because you haven't tried those positions. And isometrics is one of the perfect things to train positions that you can't do any other way. And and then, and also, I think isometrics creates a lot of nerve. I can prove this. It creates nerve um, recruitment in a way that you can't even, like, like super high. And in a way that, um, and it will create speed and strength, both positionally as well as carry over to other stuff. And in doing that, you're suddenly, you're weirdly more coordinated in this way that, like, that, like where did that come from? Well, I think you wake nerves up by doing that in positions that you never... And like, you can do all kinds of stuff and people, people look at that training. And they're like, that's just silly. Well, let's try it out, my friend. And see, I'll see who feels silly 20 minutes into this when you're right. like, I don't move anything. And I'm sweating like I'm in a sauna and breathing. Like I just ran three miles. I mean, it's a, there's a whole other, and again, that's a historical precedent that we don't train anywhere else that we don't, but like, that's been a training for thousands of years of, of things that, that people have done. And they're suddenly able to do some pretty wild stuff. You can, man, there's some amazing stuff to be done with that to exploring training that is outside of the box. And most training, even though we think we're, you know, inventing stuff, I'm like, we, okay, almost nobody invents anything. If you look at the history of training, we're recycling something that we're coming up, we're seeing an old idea and maybe bringing it to light in a slightly different way or just revamping it, period, and bringing it to that way. There's very, very few things that are a true innovation in training, but we're doing, Dude, it, having some concept of the history of your craft will give you such a broad variety of what is humanly possible. And also not seeing us as these, this segregated bunch of idiots. 
Bodybuilders don't like powerlifters. Powerlifters don't like this. Martial artists don't like this. And kettlebell lifters don't like anybody. And they're, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they don't even like each other. They don't. I'm, I'm not teasing about. You know, I've got like, dude. I don't care if you lift a kettlebell gear boy sports style. If you lift it hard style, I don't care if you bodybuild. I don't care if you're Olympic lifter, powerlifter. If you're an all around lifter. If you're a strong man. If you're an old time strong man. If you're a martial artist, boxer, grappler, tai chi. We're all training the same stuff. We're just training a different flavor of it. Your flavor is different than mine or whatever. And we're all weirdos to the normal public. Yes. Yep. Yes. <laughs> like they don't, if, if you're standing in a Kung Fu uniform on top of a mountain, holding a crane pose and I'm lifting 800 pounds on a barbell, we're, we're still a weirdo to the average duty Doritos on the couch. Mm-hmm. So why not let all stick together and be cool with each other and be, not be like, you know, Oh my God, you lift. Well, you, you lift with triple ply equipment. Well, you lift raw. I don't like you. I don't like you. Hey, dude, shut up. Let's just, let's all go eat, have something to drink. And <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. The thing that I, I find with isometrics and we love, I mean, our system is isometrically driven, but when you bring up isometrics to most people, the, one of the very first things that comes to their out of their mouth is, yeah, but I can't get bigger muscles using isometrics. I, I find that across the board. People, uh, mostly guys, but they're like, well, that's not going to give me bigger muscles. And I'm like, but it's going to build such a big strength base. And that's mm-hmm. what they're, and I, and that's what they're just not grasping onto. Right. Right. Well, and okay. Now, dependent on the type of isometric you do as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's the difference. The type of isometric, whether it's a, and like I can, because I can give you some isometrics done in a power rack that will build your bigger muscles. Mm-hmm. Yep. That will absolutely will build your, will actually, you'll be, you'll be pumped in a way that like you can't scratch your own head. They just don't have the concept. And here's what they don't have the concept of. Isometrics is the kind of thing that is structural building. And the reason a lot of people get injured, well, the reason normal people get injured is because they're not strong enough to live life. Okay. Normal people want training, period. I make this analogy with people about pain all the time. If your life, you're living the most sedentary life that a human can live, and the average person requires, say, on an offhanded number, 100 pounds of strength to live their life. But at some moment, 105 pounds of strength is going to get required and they're injured. Mm-hmm. They have no concept of not normal, n- normal um, angles or, or any of that stuff. And they're in pain most of the time because... The strength they have is just barely adequate to live. Whereas with just a minimum of time, you can drive that strength up, your durability and your, your durability, therefore less pain goes way up. But a lot of people in training, when they try anything unusual or they think, you know, I lift weights all the time, but, but I'm not tougher than I, it doesn't make my, my yard easier. It doesn't make, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't make me better at moving the couch or that kind of thing or whatever. And they get injured with stuff like that because they're training only one part, only the muscular part of the foundation. They're not training bone, tendon, ligament, that kind of thing. And what they don't realize is that, okay, you want, okay so say you do want to grow muscle. That's part of your thing. I still think you should train some of this way. And let me tell you why. The better your bone, this is stuff that trains your bones. The better your bones are, the more your body will let muscle grow. The better your tendons are better your ligaments are, the better your physical alignment, the better your nerve function, which is training by all of those things in isometrics and the, the kind of stuff you guys do and a lot of stuff that I do, all of that stuff gets trained. Therefore, your body allows more muscle to stay on, the, on there. Your body's only going to allow as much as won't hurt you to happen. 
But if your structure is stronger, like a lot of people, stuff that people say the stuff that I do, you know, I do a lot of short partial reps and that kind of thing. They're like, that's just silly. Nobody, what you don't understand is that I'm trying to make my internal and external frame work better. Okay. I'm training stuff that exposes my body to load in a way that yours will never be exposed to in normal training. And in doing that, I'm taking the foundational elements of my body, the bone structure mass itself, the tendon and ligament stretch, the, the joint integrity, the core strength, all that stuff in a way most people never do. Therefore, if I have a bigger base, okay, in the car analogy I was making earlier, most people that are lifting weights, they could have, they, they end up putting a V8 engine in a Hugo versus if you did the other training, well, now you put that V8 engine in a structurally reinforced NASCAR that has a safety roll cage and extra heavy duty everything so that everything doesn't fall apart when you fire that engine up. And a lot of the training we do get creates that imbalance of, I got a big engine to go right here, but I don't have the rest of the capacity to actually use that engine. And here's what you get. You either get injured, injured because that big engine breaks another part mm-hmm. or you never get out of that engine what you could get out of that engine because the rest of your parts aren't strong enough to apply the power you have out of that one piece. So what we're looking at and what I'm looking at doing is I'm trying to make every piece, you know, I'm trying to keep every, if I was a soundboard, I'd have every level up and balanced instead of just one low, one high, that, so that we're, everything is up. So not only are my muscles strong, but my blood flow is good. My nerve conduction is awesome. My coordination of those things is good. My uh, tendon ligament bone structure, my, all of that stuff is together so that I'm getting the most out of possible out of every ounce of muscle that I carry or whatever else that I do. And that's the thing I think they miss about that. It, you know, and okay, here's the thing. Now, I'm a big fella, okay? And I do a lot of lifting that requires bigger muscles. And, but you don't... It's, in normal life, it's not going to pay you. Listen, you don't understand what it takes to feed and keep 300 pounds going. Like, it's probably not that big a deal. Plus, you don't know how many chairs I've broken and how many shorts I've ripped and how many, you know, that kind of, Like, dude, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. But like, and when I used to be a lot bigger, when I was, you know, when, when I, I was, I was at 400 pounds to squat a thousand pounds. And I cut it. And then I cut a hundred pounds because... I don't feel like a human needs to be lean to be healthy, but you can't be that big. Like everybody yeah. has a tipping of where your maximum health is going to be. And above that point, you're going to suffer or below that point, you're going to suffer. And you're, you've got a maximum body mass tipping point of I'm as big as I need to be, but I need some endurance and I need to get, you know, all those things are kind of a balancing issue and those points or whatever, but like, okay. And big muscles are awesome. Functional muscles are better. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like I would rather be, I am, and I'm proof of that. I'm proof of a lot of things people don't think it's possible. So I'm proof of being, you know, 20 inch arms and coordinated, which most people don't think. And that's why, you know, and, and they have a, a reason for those stereotypes. Cause how many guys, you know, that, yeah, they bench press 500 pounds, but they walk like Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm proof that you don't have to do that. I'm also proof that you can be bigger and you can actually be healthy and have endurance and, and all those things. too. But like, be what you are and don't worry about that. If you get, and, and if you want to be bigger, okay, throw in a couple of sets to make those muscles bigger, but do the other work too. Like, I'd rather be bigger and actually have those muscles work versus big and only have one framework of power versus a, a whole world of power or big and just for show. Does it get frustrating when, like with partial reps, it, it gets frustrating when people make comments because 
you know to yourself, you're like, you haven't even tried this. You haven't even experienced this. So you don't even know what you're, what it is that you're condemning or knocking on. Right. Well, it isn't, it isn't. Okay. So if you're going to play this game of social media, you got to sort of realize that people are going to make stupid comments mm-hmm. that and a lot of people, which this is the saddest comment or one of got to be top 10 saddest commentaries of our time is that people literally live to anonymously sit in their mother's basement and make fun <laughs> of other people. That we were just understand. talking about that. We were just talking about that. Yep. Sadness of that. And like, I float back and forth on this and literally, and most of the people who do what I do, you kind of develop this mindset of, of two things. Number one, you don't, your, your opinion is if you are dumb enough to do that kind of thing, I'm not going to give you the time of day because your opinion is not, you're, you have no knowledge from which to speak your opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes I do comment on that, depending on whether somebody asks a question respectfully or whether they're a jerk about it. And they, depending on the response they may get from me, because if you ask respectfully, I'm like, listen, it's not that I'm, what I'm doing is something you're not, have not been exposed to. You don't understand. Okay. I'm speaking Russian when you've never heard anything but English. If that means, you see what I mean? It doesn't mean my language is wrong. It just means you don't understand the language I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if they're a jerk about it, I'm like, listen, if you're not, if you're dumb enough to not like to just see something that's different than you and automatically make fun of it, dude, you don't get an opinion. You don't, I'll, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. How about that? That kind of, you know, and and second, you have to also look at on the internet perspective. Trolls are trolls are. I think they're a disgrace to humanity. However, they're kind of working for me. You see what I mean? And here, in other words, what they don't get is that you heard the expression. You know, if you follow me every day and you're a hater, you're actually a fan. Yeah, no, you're true. You know what I'm talking about? You actually are. If you comment on everything I do, even though you hate me, you still drive traffic. You still you're you know, true. Um, I, I dislike it. It is frustrating from the lack of knowledge mm-hmm. that people are like. So, and they assume that I'm just nuts or that I'm dumb because I'm doing something they've never seen, even though that what they don't understand is there's a historical precedence that they don't. Under- and what they don't understand is this. There is very little scientific law in physical training. Okay. There are scientific hopes, <laughs> guesses, Works for that guy, may or may not work for the next guy. I, you know, listen, if you do a study, you can prove anything mm-hmm. in a study of 20 college freshmen, depending on how you twist the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and people say that all the time. Well, that's not what so-and-so's book said. Well, you got to understand that. Like, okay, yeah, gym bros don't know much, but gyms are laboratories, mm-hmm. functional training places, powerlifting places, strongman places, uh, Olympic lifting places are laboratories that people are doing legitimate physical experiments. Not I made a uh, college freshman do leg extensions three days a week for 12 weeks and I tracked them and one group got bigger than this and that or whatever. And the differences in humanity from man to man, even though we all have two eyes, two legs, two everything the same are different enough metabolically that one thing may work for you. And the next thing may not work for, for me. And there is no super physical precedent. And so, but, but people need to attack it like religion or politics. No, this is the only way. Listen, by God, if you do partials, you're an infidel and you must be condemned. (laughs) And it's purely a lack of knowledge and then a lack of just what. And one of the reasons I do pop up with this, and I'll tell you why. And I had this weird little thought about this whole thing. Sometimes I and normally what I should be doing is just don't stress. Let them talk. Let them drive traffic for you. Don't let it go. 
But I think people who are viciously stupid enough to attack people in a, in a very personal and ugly way from an anonymous point on the internet are the same people who beat up kids and women and how, and how they look. And they're the same people who bully people. And sometimes maybe we're wrong for not telling them. That. I, no, I, and I get that arguing with them is pointless and there's no, you know, whatever. But at some point, maybe if you stand up and say, you know what? You need to remember that not everybody is going to put up with your stupidity and oh, nobody's yeah. face. Mm-hmm. And you should know better than to attack people. And you can attack me saying anything you want. It's not really going to bother me. But there are people who do that. And I get this feeling that, you know, they're the same guy who randomly picks on women for body image issues and picks on kids for, you know, disability issues and that kind of thing. And like, somebody needs to tell you that you need to remember, Skipper, that karma will come around and karma might look like me one day. And it might be armed to the teeth physically and mentally. You might, you know, number one, you might have some dude like me who might embarrass you on the internet, but he also might slap the crap out of you in person. In real life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. I, 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 that's that I think is the one real problem with that that really bothers me is that it breeds meanness mm-hmm. in people that. There are like I, I've been doing this for 20 years, man. People have said the most crazy, vicious things to me on the internet. I don't care. My skin is thick about that. But most people's isn't. And I see a lot of damage done to people by things said to them and other people. So once in a while I do pop off on people and be like, you know what, Skipper? Maybe you should remember that, you know, you should be if you ain't got nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. And one day you'll pay for the stupidity that you create into people. Number one, if you, if it isn't just purely in the bad you create into yourself, one day you may pop off to the wrong cat and somebody, you know, will twist your little head off like a pickle jar. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very true. That's very true. So the, another thing that we, what I really love about your training is, is being able to teach people that it's, they need to be strong in all these different positions with all these different tools that you use, because the fact that when somebody follows what you, what you do, they see a plethora of tools that you use. Mm-hmm. I mean, that variety is there. The principle is more important than the tool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very true. Yep. The principle is more important. The principle of the principle of how to throw a hard strike is more important than the individual strike. Mm-hmm. The principle. So like a lot of what I'm doing is similar principles with different tools. And I want to be able to, and that kind of goes along with the, you know, it's jokingly, but, but this has crossed my mind over that whole apocalyptic thought process. And okay. We saw that this year, how many people worked out at gyms and all of a sudden their gym was closed. Your only access to those, to that idea is, Oh my God, I'm going to lose everything because I don't have the tools that I need. Well, what if there are other tools you can make it up with? Mm-hmm. What if there are tools that maybe even are better that you can test with that there are, listen, you think you're bad to the bone. You can curl 135, you know, whatever. Try 135 on a sandbag. Yeah. The difference in what you are getting and what you're not and where you're, you know, and I, from a, from a physical variety perspective, I think each one of those tools has pluses, you have minuses, have different things they test. And for my money and, and because I'm not a specialist, I'm, I would be a generalist specialist if you had to give me a, you know what I'm saying? Like I want to generally be able to walk into anybody's sandbox and play. Mm-hmm. Maybe not be the best in the world. You know, I'm not going to walk over and bike with Lance Armstrong and that kind of thing. But 
I can train with most powerlifters or bodybuilders pretty constantly at a high level. I can train with most powerlifters at a reasonably high level. I can train with most grapplers at a reasonably high level. I can train with most shooters at a reasonably high level. I can train. You see what I mean? I, I, I want to have good things. And you don't, each tool might have a little something extra to teach you. And you might find something that, like another thing that's big for me is find the one that works for you mm-hmm. versus the one everybody does. So like people say that that's another criticism I get all the time. Why don't you do the big three? Because the big three doesn't pay bills. <laughs> and I do a version of them, but I do a version that fits my body and my purposes. And here's what I mean by that. Like I get a ton of crap over. I, mostly I do Anderson squats. That's my, I found they gave the most carryover to the most real world applications of lifting stones or picking things up of being able to generate power from the bottom, all of those things. And they they also were the safest. Okay. Cause I, listen, I know how to dump a weight, okay? But when you get around seven or 800 pounds and you train by yourself, it gets a little dodgy to dump weights, even if you're, you know what I'm saying? You'll never dump a weight with an Anderson squat. You're, you're in a power rack. You're, you'll always be the same and all this. Okay, see what I mean? But here's what I mean by that. I get this all the time. And you train, and I got no guys who train bench presses. And bench presses wreck that guy's shoulders, but he trains them anyway because that's the thing you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And if you stick me, and I don't train heavy bench presses anymore, okay? But if you stick me and that same guy standing next to each other, we're both big, we're both strong, we both, you know, I probably am more functional because I do more coordination based stuff, but I don't hurt in the way he does because I pick an exercise that works those same muscles, but it's an exercise that doesn't create pain for me. Mm -hmm. So why not pick the one and pick from that variety of tools? Listen, most of this ain't rocket science. You know what I'm saying? You can learn how to lift the kettlebell. You can learn how to lift a dumbbell. You can learn how to lift a sandbag or a keg or a log or a rock or a barbell. Now, highest level complicated form on specific competitive things is different. But you can learn all this stuff. So why not challenge things? Why not never be bored? Why not find the... And here's what you're going to find this. I have this concept about this too. Find the one that works the best for you. So I'm strong at this move. I like this move. This move doesn't cause me any joint issues. This move doesn't cause me any pain. I can train it safely. I can train it regularly. Train that one. Mm -hmm. But also find the thing that sucks the worst, that you're the weakest at, that you're the worst at. Now... I don't really believe in doing that on a regular basis if it's something that injures you, mm-hmm. okay? Um, because for the most part, like I do a few things that like I, I rarely, rarely do them because they leave me feeling crappy, but I still want to test that thing. But, but here's what I really mean by that. You will see people who, I, I have a concept that I, you know, I call a nemesis exercise, not from an injury or pain per- perspective, but from a man, I'm strong at this, 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 this. I'm awesome at everything. Training is going awesome. And I try this one thing. And every time I try that thing, it sucks. And I'm terrible at it. And I'm terrible comparatively. Like I know guys who can run forever and burpees will wreck their world. Doesn't matter. And their endurance is high and should be high. But that particular thing is just never on par. I think in doing that and experimenting across a lot of tools, you have the ability to train anywhere, anytime. Your concepts are more important than your specifics, but you'll also find weaknesses that most people never find. And in finding that weakness, you find, well, crap, I, how come I'm super strong this way, but not this way, or not this way, or not, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe in, trust, in testing some other tools, you get 
you get number one, what you can really do and what you really can't do. No matter what you think you can or think you can't do, you know what you actually can do. But number two, you get that, well, crap, I'm, I kind of suck at this and I don't want to suck at this because, you know, I, I don't want to suck at anything. And therefore now I know. And now, so, so now I have, a, now I have something to train. I have something to motivate me. I have something that says, hmm, I need to get better at that. And here's a lot of what you find. Usually if you take the thing you really, really, really suck at, and I believe that conceptually in both ways, take the thing you're awesome at and make yourself invincible at that thing. But then take the thing you suck at and work it hard enough to make it a strength. Yep. Usually when you do that, your other things tend to come up as well. Your other mind and tend to tend to get better. Yeah, we've said that for a long time. Train your deficiencies so that they become strengths and your strengths become phenomenal. They go mm-hmm. up as, as reciprocation because technically that deficiency you have is indirectly or sometimes directly contributing exactly. to your overall factors. So if you can always train your deficiencies and build them up as strengths, you're going to be much better off. So that is very Absolutely. true. Yeah, we definitely believe in that. Noah's Army. Uh, what exactly would you like to please expound to the listeners what that is, please? Okay. Uh, I have done like, you know what? For some reason, I'm podcast boy this summer. I've done like a dozen of these in the last two, couple of months. I don't know why. Like, I, I don't know if like one guy listens to one and he says, hey, have that guy or what? I, I don't know. And I said that to, to preface this. I may or may not get through this real easily or not because it's a very, very personal and very mm-hmm. touching subject to Okay, so let me tell you what Noah's army is. Uh, my wife Heather and I, our son was named Noah, and in about four days, five days from the the date of us recording this, it will be three years that he since he passed away. Okay, he was twenty one years old, and he was hit uh, in a motorcycle. He was riding driving his motorcycle, and a truck hit him. Uh, no fault of his own, no fault of the truck driver, even just a freak, freak accident of the, the wrong angles at the wrong time and just one of those things. But when something like that happens to you, it is like a bomb goes off in your life. Like it is like you walked in and your whole, your whole world blew up. Um, and in response to that, I think you have two options and I see that you have two options and, and the people, the other people that I've seen this happen to or something like this happen to. And in the statistics about it, you have two options. You can do something about it to create a positive effect and keep yourself sane and keep yourself moving and carry on the legacy of the person that you love. And that's what we did. Or you can metaphorically or literally curl up and die. And in parents that survive children like ours, the statistics of suicide are psychotically high. Just, I mean, it's, it's incredible. When you track it over a couple of year period, the level of marriages that fall apart and people who, whose life crash and burn or who just quit living or people who just literally kill themselves is staggering. And our son, and I say this trying not to sound like dad bragging because if you ask anybody, they'll back up what I am about to say. Our son was a very special human being. We wanted to carry on his legacy. And let me tell you where the name comes from and what it is. And Noah's Army is our, is our charity. What we do is we have a couple of fundraisers every year and we, um, we support law enforcement and uh, we support uh, first responders and we support women escaping domestic violence. We support children in uh, terminal illness. Okay. 
And we spread those funds out through scholarships to everybody. We support people going through the police and fire academies, through the first responder academies. Uh, we support veterans and those things. Uh, so we can, everybody we can help, we're going to help. Okay. We do that because our son was set to start the police academy about a month prior, uh, post his death. Mm. And he was committed to pay in his own way. We'd offered to pay for it. He'd wanted to be a sheriff since he was six years old. He had a, an entire set of plans to do that. And um, the sheriff in the county, they, uh, they have a hiring program. They offered to pay for it. He wouldn't let anybody else pay. So what we did is the people who pay their own way, we have scholarships who we reimburse for them because we want to pay that on. And we want to do all the good we can do in our community. And here's why it's called Noah's Army and, and what it's about. Okay. Uh, we promote those charities, but we also promote blood donation and organ donation because our son was a full organ donor. He, he gave what's called a full donation. And most people don't know this, that you can elect to be an organ donor, but if you do not register, the choice will be with whoever is your family at that time. Okay. So you can be an organ donor. You can say it on your driver's license. And if somebody's with you and they're having an emotional freak out, which they are very likely to do. And people ask them if you passed away, if they want to donate your organs, they can say no, even if it's your wishes. Okay. So if you don't have it written into a living will, or if you're not registered with an organ donation foundation for your state, which is pretty simple to do, you can do it online. Uh, they can, they can actually stop it. Now, our son had wanted to, had elected to do that the day he got his driver's license at 16 years old. Uh, because he asked my wife about it and she said, well, this is what it is. And he's like, well, this is, why wouldn't anybody do that? Why wouldn't you save somebody? The night our son passed away or the night that he was taken off of the machines that were keeping his organs. he actually, he was hit on a Monday. He actually left the vessel that he lived in on a Wednesday. And then Friday morning at 2 AM, he was, there was the surgery to, uh, donate his organs. And in donating his organs, he saved four lives that night. That's four people who got to live because he just did that one simple thing. And then other people, we, we did not know any of this, but he did what's called a full donation, okay? Which means you can stipulate what you donate, that kind of thing. Well, he donated everything you can pop, anything, anything you can use for me you, that you, that's, you, know, you can take. Well, we didn't know that when you donate your heart, they can take pieces of the blood vessels and valves and they can remake valves for babies. So not oh, only wow. did the gentleman get his heart, several babies got heart valves. Hmm. Didn't, I didn't know they took skin grafts. I didn't know they took bone marrow. And we know that some soldiers and some people who were damaged and, and got skin grafts and got bone marrow and stuff from that. So it's a countless number of people that you get to help that you don't, you, you, most of which you'll never even hear about. And Noah's army came from this thing. And the reason we did this is he was, his whole life, was committed to helping other people. And that's why he wanted to be a sheriff. That's why he wanted to do what he, and he was a, uh, just literally a phenomenal human being. He was the, like I told you earlier, he was the youngest strong man to be, have steel inducted into the historical museum. Uh, he had performed with me all over. He was a high level jujitsu player. He was a national champion shoot at, at sporting clays, as well as a two-time all American. Uh, he had shot on pro teams and cancer research teams and shot on the sheriff's teams in, in sporting clays. If you don't know what sporting clays is. It's like skeeter trap. It's a shotgun game where you shoot at clay discs. Um, he was the youngest man at 16 years old. He won the adult masters state championship in Florida, which is shooting against pro levels from guys from all over the world. 
Um, he could do the most phenomenal trick shots and stuff like that or whatever, but people didn't, a lot of people didn't even know him from that. They knew him because he just had this weird knack for helping people. And like, okay, we found out about this at his funeral. Um, the lady that he, he was a shotgun manager in the, in a state, in our state. And he shot with all the SWAT officers. He shot all the, he shot with all the sheriff's officers. They all knew him. In fact, at 2 a.m., and we had no idea this was going to happen. At 2 a.m. on a Friday morning, when we walked in with his bed to the surgery, as soon as we left the TICU unit and walked down the hall, there was an entire hallway of officers standing in uniform that was an honor guard for a kid who wasn't even a sheriff to walk him to his last moments. And Somebody made the remark or we talked about it and we looked back and there was literally 50 or 60 people following us that day at two in the morning. Um, we didn't call a soul. The only people we told was our immediate family and everybody else found out on their own. And they came to walk him and it looked like an army of people. It literally stopped traffic in the hallways for us to go through. And that's where that name comes from. And we found out about this at his funeral. At his funeral, he's a the only man in Florida history that has been posthumously sworn in as a deputy sheriff. The sheriff, the sheriff in our county loved him that much and spoke, and they, they went out of their way and legally set a precedent to do it. But a lady came up to us, and this is what I mean about carrying on that legacy of helping other people. A lady came up to us at his funeral and said, I want you to know I knew your son, but I want you to know I knew him in a very different way than everybody else. And let me tell you why. All these guys talk about him. I heard them talk about him all. They shot with him. They knew him. I knew him because I work at the sheriff's office, but I work in the PR department. And I never, I don't shoot anything. I'm not that kind of an officer. I work in a very different capacity. And a month before this happened was the biggest hurricane that ever hit Florida, Hurricane Irma. And for that, the whole world shut down here. It was a, you know, it was a huge disaster. Um, and in creating safety for our own families, my wife and myself and our son split up to three different houses. So I could be with my family, she could be with her family, and he could be with his girlfriend's elderly family, grandparents, and that kind of thing. So that the youngest, strongest people were with the oldest people, so everybody would be as safe as possible. And she said, I want you to know that I got six phone calls from people after Hurricane Irma about a kid driving around South Lakeland with a chainsaw on a motorcycle, cutting up trees and pulling power lines out of the road. He actually cut a tree and pulled it off of a live human. Wow. I, his mom never knew it happened. He never said a word about doing any of that stuff. But the lady came to us and said, I want you to know that people after people after people called me and told me about this kid just randomly clearing roads and so emergency vehicles could get out and helping people just because he wanted to help people. And that's why those people showed up to respect him when he left the world. And that's why we do what we do to try to everything we do to help other people. So when you see me doing the most nutcase, craziest stuff and light stuff on fire, it's purely because I want you to see the bigger message behind it, which is you can be an amazing person. God loves you. You can do amazing physical things, but more than that, I want you to step up with us and help other people. And hopefully, you know, the, this year has been a little rough on that because we haven't been able to do any live events because the whole world's been shut down. So what we're going to do, hopefully in November, is we're going to have a virtual event where I'm going to get as many strong men as I can to do a virtual event. Everybody can live in their own state, stay in their own part of the world, and they can, they can show up with us on video and do a special feat. And then people can donate live and raise money for our charity and that kind of thing. 
So that's what Noah's Army is about. And that's why really we do what we do. That's awesome. Wow. Well, uh, can you please uh, share any of your social media handles with the listeners in case they're not following you already? They can get on that. Absolutely. Okay. So anything you were anywhere you find me on social media is just my name. Okay. I don't do, you know, I don't have a product. Like I, I don't, since I don't have a product like stick mobility where your thing needs to say stick mobility, mine is just me. So it's Bud Jeffries. So you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever on, on at Bud Jeffries. Okay. Now my website, personal website is an unconventionallife.com. Okay. And that's literally what it's about. It's about living the most amazing life you can have by being strong, by getting all the physical things that we've talked about today and all the other things and making your life an adventure and making it fun and being you. And then you can find Noah's Army at Noah's Army Foundation or official Noah'sArmy.com. And you can look up either of those and go right to it. And there's places to donate. And then we'll have t-shirts from my website. We also have Noah's Army t-shirts in the very near future. And we have generally two fundraisers, two live event fundraisers a year, which we'd love to have people, but we're probably going to add this, um, a virtual one every year now, I think, because, uh, you know, you never know what's going to happen with the world. And, uh, you can find us at any of those places. And, uh, and then hopefully I have plans in the next year for a bunch of new, ridiculous, crazy feats. Uh, so maybe we'll have more things to talk about. And also, um, I'm hoping to, I haven't told anybody this, so you guys are the first. Okay. Uh, I may set up a live seminar, uh, building on my own property oh. so that we could come and like host things or that yeah. people train and, and that kind of thing, or maybe work with some groups to come in and, you know, Anybody who wants to learn this kind of stuff, I've done a lot of live seminars in the past. I don't really want to travel to do it that much anymore. So mm-hmm. I'm probably my own area to do that. But you, have, you can find, always find me directly through my name and that'll have links to all the websites and all that stuff. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for your time, bud. Well, it was pleasure. a pleasure. It really was. Oh, thank you guys. I, pre- I feel like I talk too much. Like you guys need to talk. No, like that's it. what you're here for. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear the information that you have to bring. People that follow us, they hear us talk all the time. They're sick and tired. They're sick and tired of hearing us talk. We have guests like you on, so we can hear different perspectives, uh, your own personal experiences, and that's what this show is about. So we really appreciate you coming on, brother. And uh, we will have you on very soon again. So definitely, this will not be the last time by any means. So this was uh, awesome experience. So thank you again. Very cool. And by the way, you guys do some awesome work, and thanks for doing what you do, helping people and getting better and for having me on and, and your stick mobility stuff is really very cool well thank you very Thanks much lot, thank you uh, thank you all the listeners out there for dropping in and paying attention and checking out what bud had to say and uh until next episode be good to each other 